Our reading this evening is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Today, Paul picks up the story where he left off a few chapters ago. He's writing this letter to the Corinthians to express to them how glad he is about how things have worked out. It was touch and go for quite a while with the Corinthians. He had started the church, he had left them with some faithful teachers, but then trouble arose, and when Paul got word of it, he sent them a letter, 1 Corinthians, full of rebuke. There were all kinds of things that needed to be corrected, they needed to straighten up, they needed to take care of the sin that was in their midst, and they needed to renew their trust in God, return to the gospel, Jesus crucified for sins. So Paul wrote them 1 Corinthians, And it seems to not have been well received. And as Paul was considering a visit that he was planning to make to them, he decided not to go because he didn't want another painful visit. He put it off. And instead he sent Titus to see them. And he waited and waited to hear how things were going. We hear today what it was like when Titus came back to Paul. He came back with incredible news. Somehow, Paul's message had gotten through to them. Somehow, they had believed what he said. Somehow, they had taken it to heart and changed their ways. And now they were longing for, for Paul, longing to hear from him and to see him again. And Paul is thrilled that he has been comforted 
with the comfort that came from Titus and the comfort that Titus received from them, he's delighted that things are restored. But, but Paul knows that they still need encouragement and they still need instruction, they still need correction and training in righteousness. But Paul is committed to them. He could have, after all, have written them off a long time ago. He doesn't have much connection to them except for the time that he spent there, the friendships that he made, but even those are strained now. He could have just written them off. They weren't family. He wasn't from there. He's been traveling around. There are other churches. He could have been done with them. But did you hear what he said today about the Corinthians? He says, you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul understands his life and his death to be tied to the Corinthian church. It matters to him as a matter of life and death, closer than family even. He is with the Corinthians even when they are going so far astray so that he spends anxious moments waiting to hear. And he rejoices today. But did you notice the source of his joy? Of course, there was comfort from Titus that he had a good trip. That Titus had a good, positive, uplifting visit. But Paul is comforted and he rejoices because he sees the grief that the Corinthians have suffered. He sees that they have been grieved to repentance. Grief is what you experience in the face of loss or sorrow, tragedy, or guilt. It's that feeling when something has gone wrong. It, it is what overtakes a person often, incapacitates a person. Grief can be overwhelming, and that is what they have experienced. But Paul points out that there are two different kinds of grief. And he's so glad that the Corinthians have experienced godly grief. He wasn't trying to grieve them with his letter. He wasn't trying to hurt them with his letter. But he's glad that they were hurt. Because in their pain, they learned repentance. That's something very different from being grieved in a worldly way. That is very common. We see this all over the place. A kind of grief that gives way to despair and to death. It's the difference, these two kinds of grief, it's the difference between faith and unbelief. It's the difference between recognizing that grief which comes from God is meant to make us better, to make us whole, to lead us into righteousness, whereas grief that we bring on ourselves on account of sin or simply because of sin in the world, that kind of grief has no end. It goes on and on and on if it's not met with the salvation of God. We can see these two different kinds of grief throughout the Bible. So here are a couple of examples just to show you how this works. Take, for instance, Judas, the man, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. He took 30 pieces of silver from the, the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees to hand Jesus over, to betray Jesus, the price of a slave. That's what a slave cost in the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver. That's what he took for Jesus. And then he led the soldiers to Jesus and he kissed Jesus to show the soldiers who Jesus was. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss, and then he watched as Jesus was led away to be crucified. And he realized that he'd made a big mistake, that he had handed over the very Son of God, that he'd betrayed his friend and his master and his Lord. And in his grief, he took his own life. Judas was grieved, but he was hopeless. He wasn't grieved towards repentance. He was grieved towards hopelessness. He thought this grief was too heavy a grief for him to bear. 
and too heavy a grief for God to bear. And so he took matters into his own hands. That's what grief does when it is a worldly grief, when it is an unbelieving kind of grief, when it is grief that has no hope in God. But consider the alternative. So Peter finds himself in a similar position to Judas. He didn't betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but three times Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And in the third time, he uttered a curse. He called down an oath from heaven. He said, Lord, uh, if if I am wrong, if I am lying about knowing Jesus, let me be accursed. And then the rooster crowed, and Peter wept bitterly. But he did not despair, because he believed. He believed what Jesus had told him, that God is gracious and merciful. He believed when he saw Jesus again and Jesus restored him, when Jesus forgave him and gave Peter the charge to tend his sheep, Peter believed him. And so his grief gave way to repentance, a new life, a new hope, a new heart, resurrection. That is what repentance is. This is often the obstacle in the face of grief. People grieve and they think that repentance is kind of like working your way back up into God's good graces, but that's not it at all. Repentance is a fresh start by God's doing, by God's work. It is a restoration completely back into God's good graces, just like that. It's like the story of the prodigal son who comes back to his father thinking, maybe I can be a servant in my father's house and at long last my father will again trust me. But how did his father treat him? He went out to meet him, running to meet him, putting a ring on his finger and a robe on his shoulders and shoes on his feet and throwing a party for him as though it had never happened. All of the wickedness and all of the sources of grief, that's what repentance offers in Christ. He offers a new life. And that is why Paul is so thrilled that the Corinthians were grieved to the point of repentance that they sought to clear themselves. They didn't just want to cover up their sins or hide them away in a corner or justify them. Instead, they wanted to be clear of them, to be free of them. And so they established their innocence by putting the evil out from their midst and turning again to God by trusting in his promises. They wanted to be whole. They wanted to be restored. And that makes Paul glad. Never, never forget this joy that can come from repentance. Never think for a moment that your grief is too great for God to take away or that it is grief which cannot end in repentance. Never think for a moment that repentance is something that leads to anything other than newness and wholeness and restoration to God. Never forget that God wants you to be with him, that God wants to restore you and make you whole, that God wants you to live eternally, that he wants to forgive all of your sins. He wants to take them all away. He wants to save you from all of the consequences and punishment of your sins. He wants to deliver you. He wants you to be his child. He wants to rejoice like Paul is rejoicing, that he has not lost his dear Corinthians, but that they are still his and he is still theirs. God is just like that, delighting. Every time you turn again to him, delighting, when you are restored to him, when you are grieved to repentance. Never forget that, and also never forget this. But that is how we should regard one another as well, like Paul regards those Corinthians, hoping and praying that we would always be together, 
that we would live and die together, that our hearts would be wide open to one another. Make room in your hearts for us, Paul says. Let that be our attitude towards each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what joy it is, what comfort it is, what gifts God has given us. All of this is packed in here in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and I think it's hard really to capture what joy he must have felt, the the end of those sleepless nights, the joy of knowing that the Corinthians were Christians still, and that he would see them again, if not in this life, then in eternity. Let us also rejoice in such blessings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.